Hello and welcome to Robust Discuss with Sean and Brian. This is a podcast where we politically discuss our society and the various pathways we could take to improve it. We will dive deep into our morality, our government, and our lives. We have topics ranging from philosophical questions to U.S. politics and even some current events. Today, we will be touching and re-discussing the unfortunate truth of child marriages in the United States. Today is going to be a little bit of a special episode for our listeners as we have a very important and insightful guest due to some firsthand experience of what child marriages does to a person and a family. We have with us um, Sarah Tasneem. Welcome, Sarah. Um, We're very happy and thankful that you're here to join us today um, to share your experience to continue the dialogue on this issue and well thank you well thank you for having me both i I appreciate it and um, appreciate you highlighting this topic yeah it's it's definitely a topic that i think is is not talked about nearly enough because i think um i think unfortunately the the truth is that people don't understand and they don't realize what is actually going on and that's what uh, we kind of hope to provide here today is a little bit of an insight to the reality of what child marriages are for our dedicated listeners you guys might remember we did touch on this episode just a couple months ago we talked about how we were appalled that only six states had limited the minimum age to 18 and we even dug deeper and found there were states that technically due to the laws and how it's written don't have any specific minimum age and it's yeah i mean brian if you remember that that is just honestly appalling it really is yeah, it's uh, it's really sad, and I don't think people understand that there's a lot of legal loopholes that um, can be taken advantage of to perpetuate this kind of sick practice that honestly continues a cycle of abuse that affects families and communities in a disastrous uh, way. Yeah, it's it's on it's honestly disheartening, and it's um, I think it's shocking to people because a lot of the people I've talked to since our last episode that kind of made me so inspired and kind of like wanting to really bring this up again is I I think people don't realize how truly legal it is in our country. Like it's 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 honestly it's disgusting and crazy that people can get away with some of the things that they can because of the laws of how you get a sign off and some judicial write off that allows a marriage to go through that changes what would otherwise have been like statutory rape laws and things like that that don't have the ability to then be applied because oh that it's it's a marriage and it changes things it's like no it doesn't it's really bad it really is i don't i don't i don't i just i don't understand it i don't yeah it really changes you know nothing especially for the victims involved they're still the ones who are suffering at the hands of this abuse consider legal marriage very little legal recourse to uh escape those types of abusive relationships not to call them legitimate relationships but you understand what I mean? Yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's something crazy because of that legality that it creates with the papers that are signed. It it just it ruins the ability to address it and question it in the same way that you would a relation like a relationship of the same age difference. It's crazy what those loopholes allow. Like it really is. It it truly is. And that's kind of our our big goal today is we we really wanted to help showcase what that really is because I think people truly have some idealistic honeymoon style viewpoint that it's some high school sweetheart who's 16 or 17 and they want to marry their 18 or 19 year old boyfriend they've been dating for years and it's love at first sight or whatever's like silly and just 
plain ignorant viewpoint you you want to present like that I, I think that's what people believe it's like oh yeah 16 17 you know they get married because this and that and it's like no 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 no. it's not that it's not that at all it's a lot more sinister and just outright wrong than that kind of like that kind of viewpoint it's, it's just so vastly different from that we really wanted to kind of showcase that today and um, that's what, again, we, we thank you, Sarah, very much for joining us. We're just going to kind of chat with her today, kind of give you guys an insight into her life and what truly happens. So to kind of start things off, um, in general, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, you're filled with endless imaginations and possibilities of what your adult life may hold. Um, I personally can remember in school that I would dream of the jobs that I would hold or what career I would end at, what college I might go to. I, I mean, I had so, so many questions. Could you kind of tell us about Sarah before the marriage and the abuse? Um, like who, who were you before everything? What, what was your outlook on life? How did you see yourself growing up? Right. Um, well, myself, along with many other child marriage survivors, actually are victims of abuse within the family. So I did experience abuse early on in my childhood. However, at the time, well, maybe I guess the, the year up to leading up to my uh, forced marriage, I was living with my mom in, in Denver, Colorado. And um, I was reunited with her when I was 12 years old. So I lived with her from 12 to 15. And um, during that time period, I had a fairly normal childhood, I would say. Um, and I say fairly just because my mom was a wonderful person and I loved her dearly, but um, she was also an alcoholic. Um, she wasn't abusive to me, but uh, there was abuse happening within the household. So that was kind of the backdrop of my home life at school, I had envisioned going on to the Air Force. And then I really my my goal at that age was to go to law school. And um, the reason that was is because I, there was an adult in my life who actually said that I would be a good lawyer. So I thought, wow, that could be a possibility. And up until that point, I really didn't understand that I could have kind of a career or a future. And so that really got me thinking. And so that was kind of what I had thought that I wanted to do with my life. And I enrolled in the JROTC program at my high school. And yeah, I was it was like a very pivotal year for me because kind of halfway through my freshman year in high school, I was not doing that great and not hanging around the greatest crowd. But then like halfway through, I decided like I was really going to buckle down and I really liked this idea of going to law school. And so I was able to get my grades turned around and I joined the JROTC. And I was like, that was kind of my my thought and where my head was at when I was a 15 year old. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I actually personally can resonate a lot with that. I did um, all from all four years of my high school uh, time. I did uh, JROTC. And for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a pilot in either, either the Air Force or the Navy. That was my goal and dream up until probably my junior year. It was the time I wanted to be a lawyer because of how much I like to talk and like how much I, I also like to debate and argue. So I mean, that's that's kind of I, I believe it's important to to really see and understand that when people talk about child marriages and stuff, it's not just a number or statistic. It's a little girl like people like you who dreamed of going in the Air Force, going to law school like that's these are dreams and aspirations that you had. And like that's that, that's what you are. That's what you're supposed to have. Right. That's what you're supposed to want to dream about and do as a child. And it's just it's extremely unfortunate that there's so many people in the world that get those opportunities ripped away from them. 
Right. And especially here in the United States where, you know, children are supposed to be allowed to have the liberty and freedom to make their own choices about who they want to be. And unfortunately, that's not the case um, with child marriage and with it being legal. And it basically takes all your freedoms away from you as a child. Uh, yeah, it does. So so going into that, the losing of freedoms and, and going into the child marriage. Um, so can you walk us through how you found out you were entering, like how the situation was presented to you by your father, your initial response and kind of thought process? Um, and then kind of along, like, were you ever even like falsely presented with an, some like distortion or illusion of a choice? Or was it like, were you just like, kind of walked in and like, hey, this is what's happening? Boom. Like, kind of walk us through how, how that happened. Yeah, well, again, like I said, I was living with my mom in Colorado, and my dad was living in California with the rest of my family, and uh, we were a blended family. So there were 11 of us at the time uh, between myself, my brothers, my stepsisters and my stepbrothers, and then also our half-sisters and my half-sister and, ha and two half-brothers. So it was a large family. And that summer, my dad had asked me to, uh, well, he basically asked my mom to send us out to go visit him in California, which I wasn't really happy about because my, like I said, in my early childhood, my life was extremely abusive and my father was extremely abusive towards me. So I didn't have good experiences growing up with him. So I really didn't want to go visit him, but I didn't have a choice. I was a child. Um, I was 15 years old. And at the time, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I didn't know that he had been planning my marriage. And uh, the reason he had is because he found out that I had been seeing a young man at my high school who was a basketball player. And um, so because of that, he had started planning a marriage for me without my knowledge or my mother's knowledge. And basically the way it happened is as soon as I got off the plane, uh, I was sat down and just basically told that any, you know, sex outside of marriage was completely against his religion and it would condemn me to hell and also himself to hell. And it would be like the worst thing possible. You know, for the majority of my early youth, I was taught about heaven and hell and like I really did believe in it and uh, it was a very real place for me. So I was scared and, um, you know, he basically told me that I was going to get married and that the leader of the group he was following was going to pick out my husband. And that's really all I was told that summer. Um, and then it didn't happen until later on that summer. Okay. Wow. Um, okay. So, so kind of going on that, like, I, I, so yeah, that's, that's, geez. Um, in that time span from when you were like told that, like, I, I'm trying to think to like my mindset, you know, back as a 15 year old, like, I don't even know how I how I would have even processed that. Like, I I don't even like I, I wouldn't even have known what marriage was. Like, how like what like what did you do in that time span from like then until like how could you process that? Well, yeah. Well, I didn't really know what he was talking about. Like, I honestly was like, okay, whatever. I just thought I would. I didn't really think about it too much because it didn't cross my mind as to what he was really talking about. I thought because you know I grew up in a very, uh, I grew up in a cult basically. So a lot of the other girls my age were also forced into marriages. But since I had been kind of separated from the group those prior years, I didn't see really see what was going on, and I didn't know really what he was talking about. So I just went 
and, you know, played with my brothers and sisters like it was a normal uh, summer holiday. And he had been planning a religious conference in Los Angeles. Yeah. And so we were all really excited to go to Los Angeles. And it was uh, his his group. And it was it was a very well attended. It was probably thousands of people there. And, uh, you know, we got to go um, to a fancy hotel. And so that was like all super exciting stuff and totally distracting. And I didn't really think about anything until until the day of where I was basically introduced to a man who was um, sitting in a coffee shop. My dad just told me to go and talk to him. And I went and sat down and I was like, I had a glass of orange juice. And he just said, I don't want to wait for a long engagement. And I just don't even remember really responding, but just like kind of looking at my hands because it was really awkward. And, um, and also I was raised not to talk to men and not to really like look them in the eye or do anything like that. So I didn't, I didn't really respond. Uh, but that night I was actually forced to marry him in a spiritual ceremony and I was 15 years old and he was 28 years old and I was physically handed over to this man after the spiritual ceremony and he was able to uh, leave the country with me later that week. So I was basically like kidnapped, you know, abused, like raped. Yeah. I mean, yeah, kidnapped. That's that's a word for it. Yeah, taken out of the country where I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the language. I was completely isolated from anybody I had ever known. So the only person I could really depend on was him. And so in um, in most cases like that, what happened, I mean, in a lot of cases, but the victims just tried to survive. And that's what I was doing. I was just surviving. And the way I did that was to just turn my my brain off, basically. So I just was there, but I really wasn't there if that makes sense. And then, yeah, we returned about six months later and I was pregnant with uh, my daughter and we were legally married in a drive through wedding chapel in Reno, Nevada, where basically it was illegal at that time to just have like uh, a permission slip from one of your parents, basically. And they that, that was it. They rubber stamped my uh, marriage certificate and I was put into a legal trap in, um, in California where we were living. The age of consent was actually 18. It still is. So in California, where we were living, he was still committing statutory rape, but that legal marriage allowed him to get out of criminal charges. And it also basically shielded him from any type of you know, legal repercussions, including my mom, who I was told, you know, not to talk to. And I was basically being controlled by my abusers, like since the day of the spiritual ceremony. Yeah. So that's, it's crazy how the laws work with that. Um, I'm not sure if like specifically this is how the law like played out in, in this scenario, but there's stipulations like across the country that allow what normally would require like a lot more effort and like getting a judge to sign off on things. Like the, the laws can be subserted and be easier to pass with parental signatures if like the girl is pregnant and things like that. And like that changes the laws. I don't know why. Like I feel like that should make it worse. That should, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely terrible that that's the loophole, but that, that is a loophole. Like that works. And that's crazy that it's like, that, that that exists. Right. Yeah, that was the case in Nevada. If you're I can't remember the exact wording. But basically, if you're a minor and you're pregnant, then that allows you to get yep. married at an even younger age in Nevada. So at that time, and actually, it's changed since then, because I've actually gone and lobbied uh, for the law to change in Nevada. And it has since changed uh, to 17. But that still allows for that group of girls who are 17 years old, who are at the highest risk of being forced into marriage to be married under the law. 
And also, I mean, I think what's really important to understand is that the law is basically complicit in this trafficking because you're basically saying that this is a legitimate relationship by putting a marriage certificate on it. So what was an extremely abusive situation where adults should have stepped in and saw a pregnant teenage girl, instead they signed off on my marriage certificate and nobody asked me, do you want me to call your mom? Or are you okay? Like even are you okay? Nobody, no adult in that time in my life ever asked me that. And yeah, I also think that that kind of speaks to the othering of of other cultures in our society as well. Because, you know, I was um, covering my hair at the time because again, like I was in a cult. And I think because of that, people just assumed that's crazy. this is what, you know, this is what those people do. And it doesn't, I mean, it really doesn't matter where you're from. Like you're still a person. You still have human rights. And uh, I really feel that the system across the board just completely failed me. Oh, yeah. No, no, it 100% did. It really did. So kind of backing backing up a little bit to the to the ceremony, Brian, I know you had some questions specifically, if you want to if you want to touch on that, Brian, wanted to ask a little bit of what that ceremony was like, how weird and awkward it may have been. Um, if you realized, you know, during the ceremony, how deep this issue was getting like how uh, starting to understand this situation you were getting into and also on the other side you know i i heard that you mentioned you weren't able to talk to your mom at all um did she know at all uh was she trying to be involved at all were they just keeping her completely shut out uh your dad's side of the family or rather the cult or both really just wanted to uh more illuminated on that side of the issue. Sure. Well, uh, so my mom sent me out to visit my dad that summer with the expectation that I would come back home. And, you know, like any summer visit, I would just, you know, continue on with high school. Uh, That was the expectation that didn't happen, obviously, Uh, leading up to the spiritual ceremony, like the day of since I just found out that morning married to him that night, there was it happened so fast that like the only time I, I remember kind of becoming like aware of what was happening was we were taking the elevator up to the leader's hotel room. He was like in a presidential suite. And I just remember asking the adults in in the elevator, like, oh, like, where am I going to sleep tonight? You know, and they all just nobody responded. They all just looked down. And that was kind of when I felt like my heart kind of sink into my stomach. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening here, but it's not good. And at that point, I just I think I just was focusing on the mo- every moment at as it came kind of and just thinking like um my dad was proud of me and I had never really seen him proud of me so that was like I guess I felt happy that he was proud of me and I just didn't really fully realize like what was happening it wasn't that I didn't understand what happened you know after marriage happens but I just didn't understand that was happening to me it was like it was happening to somebody else maybe and I just was going through these motions and the ceremony itself was again it was in the leader's hotel room where all the followers had like a lot of the not all of them but a lot of the close followers had packed into his presidential suite so there was probably like a hundred people in this room kind of like a living room setting and you know I was kind of pushed up to the front and that's where like that picture on my Twitter profile is basically me sitting in front of him with my you know soon-to-be abuser and I was in a a room full of adults who 
should have known better and who should have stopped it. But instead, they like, you know, because of their religion and whatever ideas that they had thought that this was okay. (laughs) And it was good. And it was like what I was supposed to be doing. And so part of me was like, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? This is my destiny. This is like what God told me I should do. So I a part of me felt like, well, I would I'm doing something good here, you know, and I think I, you know, after that night, I just became like, I kind of feel like there were two me's. There was like a before me and after me. And the before me is, was just gone forever after that night. After the ceremony, probably like a couple days later, I was uh, basically forced to call my mom with my abuser standing over my shoulder and was forced to tell her a lie that they had coached me in giving her. And that was to say that I wanted to live with my dad and that I was going to stay with him and I was not going to go back to see her that after the summer. And it really broke her heart. It really broke my heart. It was horrible that I couldn't really communicate with her, even though I really wanted to. And it was extremely damaging. Yeah, that part was one of the worst things that I remember about the whole situation is that I felt like I lost my mom again after being separated from her like most of my childhood. Yeah, that's especially because of the lie and like not being able to communicate that like you. So when you started that sentence, I was thinking, oh, like they made you tell her that you were happy in this this like abusive marriage. And then like when you kept going, it's like, no, they they truly just kept her so in the dark that they lied to her because I mean obviously I feel like had you maybe have said that she could probably understand or know okay this isn't something she wants and can start fighting to get closer to you or maybe understand like the situation better but I mean they made it seem like it was it was a casual child decision to just hey I want to stay with dad this time like some simple like divorce separated family just I'm gonna live with dad like right uh, that that's really manipulative and that's terrible. And I'm so sorry that you had to like tell your mother that because that that I can't even imagine. Yeah. And it's it's definitely something they were used to doing was like separating families. Uh, they did it to a lot of people, not just me, but like, you know, my mom was was uh, one of many angry parents that, you know, that that had happened to uh, where she was just completely in the dark. Later on, I found out that she had tried to get in touch with me many times that summer, but couldn't get a hold of me. And she and ended up flying out to California looking for me and even like reported me missing. But there wasn't anything they could do because I was taken out of the country. And also like these people really knew what they were doing. They knew that they should take me out of the country. They knew when I got back to the country that I should get married right away, like legally. So these are people like who knew the system, who are who were grooming me from a young age and then using the same laws to protect themselves. And my ex abuser was not a U.S. citizen. He was able to apply for his own visa and work permit and everything through my sponsorship. Um, So that's another big gaping loophole in our federal laws. Yeah, that's your sponsorship. You weren't even, oh, okay. Yeah. How can you sponsor? Like, um, it's legal for underage for minors to basically sponsor a fiance, a fiance or a spouse coming into this country and vice versa. So it works both ways. And that creates a situation where your citizenship is then kind of like up for sale. And even though I was, I was born here in the United States and everything like the group, the cult that I was a part of, yeah, had a lot of outsiders that were from different countries and things like that. So that would be something that would be, you know, highly sought after in my situation yeah true i see what you're saying that that 
I don't even understand that because like another, the only other way that I know of that law being applied is actually in my in my family. My brother, they were all like in their 20s and his, his wife uh, lived in Canada and she moved down and they, they started living together and stuff. And they eventually like through the whole process of them getting married and all that stuff. My mom applied to like be her sponsor as like a way for her to obtain citizenship and stay here. It's like like my mom would kind of watch over her, make sure she has a place to stay and things like that. And like, you like basically took ownership to be like, yes, we will, I, I will watch over this person so they can be a legal citizen of, a, of the United States. It's like, do you imagine that that could be applied from a, ch- a child to somebody else? Like, how does that work in, in the law that a child could supposedly support or, or, or transfer that? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you, you, we don't allow children to sign anything. Like, until you're 18, Unfortunately, I guess like there's probably another one, a few other loopholes out there. But like until you're 18, the signature of a minor does not mean a lot. And it's like you're almost purely meant to the signature of your parents. Like they have to sign almost every legal document. You can't sign it by yourself. How can they sign? How can you sign that? How it doesn't it, it just doesn't make sense. I don't understand. How can how can you apply that in this way? Yeah, it is frightening. It's horrific. How it almost sounds like easy, like they, you know, they already have a system down for doing it. That's, I think, genuinely one of the scariest things I've ever heard. Yeah, well, there's um, there was a, a study done on it, I think, a few years ago um, by the USCIS. And there's quite a few loopholes in the federal uh, laws. So I would suggest for you guys to look that up because it's it's really it's sad. I mean, you see the numbers of minors who petitioned either for spousal visas or fiance visas and the folks who were actually brought in because of that. And if you look at the age difference, it's it's alarming. It's not good. No, it's not. Especially like on the in, in general or, or across it, it's it's in, in a vast majority of the percentages of these child marriages, the law would otherwise classify that relationship as statutory rape, but it doesn't because them being married somehow changes that. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. Right. Kind of continuing on. I mean, yeah, like in Nevada, like they didn't do anything. And so at that time you, like you were already pregnant. I mean, so were you 16 yet or were you still 15 at the time or? Yeah. In Nevada, they, they allowed for the marriage to happen, but then I was able to come back to California and we, that's where we basically settled. It was here in the Bay area. So yeah. So, I mean, you were pregnant at 15 and still into 16. I had turned 16 in November and then I was married in February. So yeah, I was, I was just 16. Yeah. For sure. I was definitely pregnant at 15. And then like you could actually time the like the birth of my child to the almost the day of my marriage. It's that. Yeah, it's not exactly. It is. It's crazy. But it's also like proof. Proof is the is the good word because it it shows how disgusting and just horrid that the practice is. So like, how do you, if at all, because I feel like all these things you shouldn't, a child shouldn't have to be able to process these, but how did you like process being pregnant? Well, I think as a, as a 16 year old, I was aware that I was pregnant and I also felt that I needed to take care of myself and my baby. And I was a big reader. Like I obviously wanted to be a lawyer. So I read a lot and I was reading about like the development of a, of a human brain and like how, you know, 
baby, you know, gets formed in the womb and all that. And so I was I was reading a lot of books on how to take care of my baby properly. And I was making sure to eat well. But, you know, a lot of circumstances out of my control that I was living with a man who uh, had a really hard time holding down a job. We ended up living at uh, the Sheikh's house, which was basically like the leader of the California group. And, you know, it's like we bounced around a lot. It was not a good living situation for me, but I did the best that I could. And after I had my daughter, I think a lot of things started changing for me. Just I knew that like I had to do something I didn't know what was wrong, but I desperately felt like there was something wrong. And I was really, I think I just went into a really deep depression until I started kind of figuring out that I needed to change my situation. And I, um, the way that started is like, this was, what year was this? 1997, 98, somewhere around there. And so like, we actually had internet in our house. It was the dial up internet. And uh, I would chat with people online and they thought my situation was really weird. So that kind of raised some flags. And then I decided I wanted to go back to school. So I asked my my husband at the time and he said, well, you have to go ask the Sheikh or, and then the Sheikh was like, well, you have to go ask my wife. And then I asked her and she said, you know, you're job is to be at home and take care of your husband and your daughter and you shouldn't really want to go to school. Why do you want to go to school? This is not something that you should do. You should be at home. Basically, you know, follow your role. And at that point in my life, I was like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) And that was the first time where I just felt like this feeling that I did not want to follow what they were telling me. And I started looking uh, for places to go back to school. And that kind of began my journey of taking back my own power. But that took a very, very long time. Again, I was a minor. I didn't know how to drive. I was very much still under the control of my abuser. So every thing that I had to do was very carefully planned. And it took me a really, really long time to leave. Um, And I found out I was, you know, pregnant again uh, when I was 19. So that delayed things further. But by that age, I really knew that I wanted to get away. And it took me quite a few times, but I eventually ended up leaving him in uh, 2003. And um, I filed for a separation, but it's never easy going through a divorce. Uh, my ex was abusive. He came back to the United States after I had filed for divorce and basically physically assaulted me in front of my kids. And after that point, like I just decided I would never see him without somebody there with me again. All that time, I really had no words for what was going on. I didn't realize I was in an abusive situation. I just thought this was normal. And like, this is how normal people acted in divorces. And they were just, they just get angry and do these things. I had no idea. Like, I was very naive, very sheltered, and I didn't know how to access the services that I really needed. And so like most minors under the age of 18, you can't go to a domestic violence shelter. You can't hire an attorney. You can't enter into a lease to get an apartment if you wanted to leave. In my situation, had I left my abuser under the age of 18, which would have been extremely impossible, I would have just been returned back to him because I wouldn't have had anywhere to go. And I knew that. Like I knew I was going to be homeless if I didn't you know, first try and get my education. But that meant staying in that relationship in that harmful, abusive relationship with my kids. And that's what minors face. They face staying in an abusive relationship and surviving until they can leave. Because I think a lot of people think, well, you can just leave, right? You were old enough to call your mom or whatever at that point. So you could just leave. That's not true. When you're in an abusive situation, it's just it's extremely hard to leave. 
You're just trying to survive. Everything you say about your lack of knowledge and your lack of just availability to the world speaks even further to the system and like the disgusting level of like calculations they've done to make sure because like 15, you're like you said, you don't even have a driver's license. Like you don't know how to drive. How You can't just leave. Like, what are you going to start walking down the street? Like right. you can't just, you genuinely have no way to exit, especially in the United States. Like there's a, there's a lot of cities or like areas you could live especially in California where like the nearest place is like 30 minutes away on driving. The area my brother was in when he had an accident, the nearest hospital was like two hours away. Things are spread out in this country. You can't just like get up and be like, oh, I'm gonna walk away from this. Like you you genuinely are stuck. That just speaks to the level of like loophole and calculation that it takes because it's it, it truly does leave you almost completely trapped. I mean, yeah, no, no, it does. It leaves it leaves you completely, at, yeah, trapped and at their at their mercy because you don't have any legal rights to do anything. Like you said, if you left, you would just be returned. Like that's like it's like a kid running away from their parents. Like that's how the that's how the law would yeah the law would treat it that way. It's disgusting, but that's what they would do. They would, the cops would pick you up off the side of the road, run your information, and bring you back to your the husband. And then he would say, yeah, like she runs away, and cops would be like, oh yeah, blah, 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 and they'd walk away. Like there's nothing they could do, even if one of them may like thought it was wrong. They have to follow the law, and the law would be that that's where you go. So like there's there's nothing they could do. It's not like somebody could you know magically take some moral conscience and get you away. Like there is genuinely so much legal paperwork trapping you that it is just not that easy. And, and you, I mean, you truly showcase that with how just how difficult it is to get away. It's crazy. Right. And as a minor, if you try to like take a minor in, let's just say you want to help them and you're trying to do something good, you can be charged with kidnapping because they're still a minor. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, like my ex-husband was my guardian because nobody else was. <laughs> so it's really weird. Um, but it, I should mention that in California and in some states, once you get married, you become emancipated. So you you should legally share some rights as an adult. However, I did my thesis on surprise, surprise, child marriage um, and whether or not children could access services here in the Bay Area. And what I found was that most shelters will turn away children under the age of 18, even if they've been emancipated, just because it's, it's such a liability. And most attorneys would definitely not contract with a minor. Even if you're an emancipated minor, it would take a lot of advocacy to get help. So even though you become an emancipated adult, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get the life-saving services that you desperately need to escape from an abusive marriage because you're still a child and people still treat you that way. Judges treat you that way. Policemen treat you that way. The adults in your life are generally the abusers in these type of situations. Yeah. So it's it very much is a trap for the minor, which is why I advocate to end child marriage uh, legally. I mean, yeah, that's I feel like it should be that simple no exceptions you mentioned obviously throughout the story today about your children personally like as, as a father of a baby boy who's just a little over two months old I mean I, I look at him every day with the utmost love and and hope for his future and so much of that stems from the aspirations I truly have for him um obviously the beginnings of their lives and and that whole time period of your life has been extremely upended and changed but are you able to have those same dreams for them like how can you kind of talk about your relationship with them and that regard. Yeah, well, congratulations on your son. Yeah, like my kids are in their 20s now. So I am 42. My daughter is 26. And my son is 23. They're both, you know, fully in charge of their lives. They're adults. And I've 
been able to raise them with me um, since they were babies. When we got a divorce, my kids were still really young. And the situation between me and my ex was traumatic and it definitely affected them. But me being able to leave and just have a life where they are not under the influence of him or the group has basically opened up another world for them that I never got to experience as a kid. But, you know, they definitely have not suffered the same abuses that I have. And that's it's still their dad and they still have a relationship with him, even though it's not an everyday relationship. They still talk on the phone with him and occasionally see him. I would never tell them they can't be in touch with their dad or anything like that. I, I would never do that. But I think... Um, it, it did. It was a little bit easier because he left the country after our divorce, probably because he couldn't, you know, complete his U.S. citizenship. But that was actually a blessing for us because he wasn't around the kids all the time and I didn't have to deal with that aspect. But a lot of survivors who I talk to have to deal with constant custody issues. And again, it's like another situation where the abuser has the most control. They're generally adults. They they have the money. They have the power. And so in divorce situations, they also have the money and the power. Like I didn't have the money to hire an attorney when I left him. I basically just gave everything to him, you know, just to have that freedom of being divorced. But, you know, when I look back on it, I'm just like, wow, I could have, if I had been an adult, I probably, I was an adult when I left him, but like, you know, I still felt like I was still kind of a kid, but I probably would have been able to hire an attorney. I probably would have been able to fight for things that I really, really needed at the time. But I wasn't able to do that because I had had my rights taken from me at a, at a young age and thought this was just normal. This was how life worked. That's honestly crazy. So now as you are as you are where you are in your life you've, you've gotten to a safer place do you ever kind of go back and like some of your potential dreams that you had have you ever like thought about rekindling them and things like that do you ever see yourself falling in love or, or getting married again or anything or or having like things like that like like I feel like that that whole time period like when when I was young and like when I met my wife and that whole process like all that was so drastically ripped away from you it's I don't know where you begin to get that back or if you ever do right I don't think I'll ever be made fully whole but I have moved on with my life I'm in a marriage with my husband who I love very much and he's an extremely supportive person the complete opposite of my oh. ex abuser and he's been amazingly supportive of all my advocacy work and has really been there for me and my kids like during some really hard times. And I think it took me... I think one of your questions was like, how did I process this? It's not, you don't process it when you're a child. You have to process when you're out of the situation, when you're safe. And so I think when I, when I started feeling safe, that's when I started processing my emotions. And I started going to therapy in 2014 after my mom passed away. And since then, I've really been able to understand that what I had experienced was abuse and it wasn't normal and it wasn't my fault. But up until that point, I had blamed myself, if you can believe that, but it's true. Like I had blamed myself for so many years and that's what stops people from, you know, processing the trauma and all the emotions that come with it. And so I think 
now I'm at a point where, you know, I feel like I've almost caught up to my peers. I never will fully because I'll never be able to get those years back. But I did go back to school. And after my mom passed away, because she had always encouraged me to continue on with my education. And I did. And I I got my master's in public administration in 2019. You know, it's taken me, what, 20 years to like get my education to where it possibly would have been, but I'll never, I'll never be able to go back and get those years back. It's not possible. I can only, you know, move on from where I am, you know, and I'm in a great place and that's why I'm able to share my story. But sadly, you know, there's so many other people out there who haven't been able to leave, who may still be stuck in their forced marriages, who may still never understand freedom. And those are the people that I fight for. I know some of these people. So it's, it's heartbreaking to know that it just is still legally allowed and it really shouldn't matter where you come from or like what you believe in, you know, what's wrong is wrong and children marrying adults is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it just is. It really is. And like, I hope that anybody who, who may come across this episode can kind of have that deeper insight and really understand how truly wrong it is and understand this isn't some situation that is innocent in any regard. It's very sinister and, and very bad and very real yeah and very real yes because it's not something that's prominently spoken about within any single type of platform um you never hear about this uh on social media or traditional media this is something that's not spoken about this is not something that uh at least i can say for myself i ever even thought about when I was going to school, of course, you know, you'd have things like uh, stranger danger, I guess, um, your parents warning you about predators, but you really only think of that as some extreme situation that couldn't ever happen to you. I know you mentioned that you didn't really understand what was happening to you because you couldn't think it would. So that's, yeah, it's crazy. That's really why we need more dialogue on this, why um, your advocacy is so important, Uh, sharing your story. uh, It's incredibly poignant and impactful because I can see uh, how if more people can listen to these types of stories, it can really see, oh, the psychology behind it, how somebody can get trapped in that situation in the first place, Um, the failures of our government, uh, the holes in the system that we always complain about, but really never do anything about, you know, considering that through this whole process, you probably saw several dozens of adults in different departments across different cities or states or whatever in different fields, all seeing you go through this and nobody catching on to what was happening or caring enough to question further to stop what was happening. Like if one person asked one too many questions, we may not even have this conversation right now. Right. Exactly. It's so true. There were so many adults along the way that, you know, maybe didn't see me for being a child, but I just, I'm thinking about all all of them that, you know, the person who stamped my passport twice when I was underage being taken out of a country, like people stamp my passport. (laughs) You know, they let me go with a complete stranger. I saw a doctor when I became pregnant who basically, that should have been. Oh, that's, I didn't even think about that. What? Yeah. 
that doctor visit really should have been, uh, how can we help you? But instead it was like, oh God, not another, you know, not another one of you people kind of situations. And, you know, I think one thing that if there's anything that people can take away is that, you know, child marriage happens and it could happen anywhere. And it's a lot more prevalent than what you think it is. It happens for numerous reasons, not just because of religious reasons, but to cover up sexual abuse from happening. Like, you know, I know survivors, there was sexual abuse happening in the home. What did they do? Marry the victim to the rapist. There's just so many situations that child marriage can be used to cover up really, really horrific situations. So we know that, but yet 42 states continue to legally allow it. And that's why that's why we really hope people can listen and hopefully understand this and we can help push for change. Specifically, like obviously the people who live in those 42 states, please reach out, send letters, go down to the offices, talk to your representatives, talk to your senators, ask questions. Why isn't this being talked about? Why haven't they done anything? Go to the, the senators and your representatives, the mothers and the fathers and show them that it could be their child. It doesn't matter. Exactly like you say, Sarah, it's not about culture and it's not about this. It's It can happen anywhere. It's the legal loopholes that anybody can use and they do use use to abuse and essentially like sexually traffic teenage girls. It's what it is. It's happening all throughout our country. And we we need to kind of take those steps. Specifically, like in Connecticut and Michigan, there are lawmakers who are introducing um, House and Senate bills that are trying to work toward ending marriage um, before 18. And I think the simple thing to understand and make sure we know is that there should be no exception. It should be 18. There is no conversation of, oh, but if this, oh, if they sign off in a separate, because I believe there was a bill I was reading that one of the stipulations was talking about like putting them in a separate room or something and having them sign off in an interview separately from the person they're being married to. And it's like, I see the step you're making, but they are still a minor. Their signature and sign off should not mean anything legally. And it doesn't. And like 99% of the other person. Just because of how easily they can be manipulated. And exactly, and and exactly like you talked about, and how you how you mentioned about blaming yourself and believing that this is what God will want you to do, and this is what you should do, and things like that. What's to say a sixteen or seventeen year old, fifteen would would still sign that paper in a room alone? Absolutely, that that doesn't change anything. Right, they still have to walk out that door and see their possible abuser and father and things like that. Like they're not going to come out that door not signing that paper if they think that. Like with what could possibly be threatened if they don't. Absolutely. Again, like you talked about, doing what you have to to survive and making it through. A lot, if not all, girls would sign that paper. It's super unfortunate. Yeah, I think what you're what you're touching on is coaching, and you know, coaching can be an extremely abusive practice. So it can actually lead to further abuse. Like if you're requiring that you know a minor be interviewed separately uh, for an hour, even like for one hour. Like, do you really think a minor is going to disclose in one hour if they're being abused when they don't even know that they're being abused. It takes like multiple, multiple sessions. It took me years of therapy to even understand that I was being abused. And that was me as an adult. As a minor, it's almost, it's putting an undue burden on a minor who can be easily forced into a marriage. And the age of majority is clear. It's 18 years old. So under that age, you have limited legal rights and therefore you can be easily forced into a marriage. As our final point today, 
day, the question I would have for you is if there were just so happened to be someone listening to the show who was going through a situation similar to yours, like what would you personally want to say to them? Is there is there any message or words you would want them to hear from you? Absolutely. Well, first, if you are suffering from an abusive relationship, no matter who you are, there are resources out there for you. Um, there is a domestic violence hotline out there for you. And um, I'm sorry, I don't know that number right off the top of my head, but I think it would be great to add that into the show. And there are also other multiple organizations across the United States who work on ending child marriage. Um, one of them is Unchained at Last, and they're found at unchainedatlast.org. You can reach out for help there. There's also another organization called Tahar Justice Center, and they have multiple offices across the nation. Um, they're also great resources if you're being forced into a marriage, even if you're over the age of 18. Um, they can still help you. Both of those organizations can help you. Um, and then, of course, call your local law enforcement immediately if you're in danger. That is the best thing you can do um, in an extremely emergent situation. And I would, again, urge anybody, if they're suffering from some type of abuse, to reach out for resources. There are people who will help you. And it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It, it really never is. No. And if I may ask, what would you want to say to the normal people? What can they do to help to continue advocating um, against child marriages? Anything you want to add to that? Definitely. There's a ton of things that you can do right now. So child marriage was legal in all 50 states. But in 2017, uh, myself, along with multiple other organizations have been able to end child marriage in eight states. So I'm going to name off those states, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Rhode Island, New York, Massachusetts, and Vermont. And if you don't live in any of those states, there is likely that there is either some legislation pending in your state, or if there's not legislation pending, it's a great opportunity for you to get in touch and get involved. Like I said, go to the organizations that I listed unchained at last.org, Tahare Justice Center, or you can reach out to me. I'm Sarah Tasneem. I'm on um, all the social media platforms. And there are some bills, some good bills pending. Um, and when I say good bills, that means that they're 18, no exceptions. There are uh, some bills pending in Michigan, Connecticut, Washington, and there are a few others. So if you go to Unchained at Last, there's a great map and it shows you kind of where there are bills pending and what those bills are and are they good or are they not? And it kind of gives you a synopsis. So that's a great place to go and get information. And it's also a great place to sign up and find out what you can do in your state. But if there's nothing happening, honestly, make something happen. Call your representative, call your senators, figure out where they are on this issue. And if they're not aware of it, make them aware of it. This is an issue that's really not going to change until the public gets extremely angry about it because it's so under the radar and so underrepresented that people just don't know that it's happening. So any type of awareness that you can, you know, create is really, really helpful. 100%. And that's, that's exactly it. We, we have to make that change. Like personally, I feel like it should be federally mandate, mandated that no marriage 
should be allowed under the age of 18. And I would even personally go as far to say that in terms of foreign relations, the United States of America should not recognize any marriage with somebody under the age of 18. So in these circumstances where a child is coming back and having that passport stamp like you were talking about, like the United States should not accept that. We should not allow these people to be trafficked in or out of the country like that. And it should just like that that shouldn't be treated as a legal guardian because it isn't. It's, it's abuse and it's and it's terrible and we, we really need to make those changes we really do Alrighty, guys if you are looking for more interaction you can connect with us on twitter at robust podcast we also have a discord server where you can have more in-depth conversations with us along with fellow listeners so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time see you